0: Hello, podcaster. It's Charlie here bringing you another episode of The Business of Podcasting, the number one show for podcasters. Well, probably not really, but I'm going to claim that title anyway. Anyway, in today's episode, I have Scott Carson of the Note Closes podcast on the show. And this is one of the most interesting conversations I've had with a podcaster. Now, Scott has got not one, not two, not three, not four, but five podcasts he's actually running and working on at the moment, which makes him a true addict in the space. And he's recorded 750 episodes, probably more when I've added up these shows, which I would almost say the experience of a veteran. Now, of course, to be doing that many podcasts, there must be a reason. Like, he's not just doing it because. So he's seeing a ton of success in podcasting, and that is a lot of what we'll be sharing uh, in today's interview. Now, there's some things that I think podcasters will find particularly interesting, and I'll, I'll name a couple here before we get into it. I think Scott thinks really differently about publication and promotion he's not just relying on iTunes or audio he's doing a lot of live streaming a lot of video and then also a lot of radio syndication and we go into that uh, in the episode itself we also talk about promotion and how he's monetizing his podcast and I think if you are a podcaster please take note because there are some things he's doing differently than most which you will be able to take advantage of I'm sure we'll have Scott back on the show at some point as well because there was topics I didn't get a chance to cover that I would love to have him come back on and uh, do again so we will do another interview from there but before we get into the episode itself if you haven't already please make sure to subscribe to the show and head over to our website and jump on our email list and now if you are on our email list each and every week I send out unique and exclusive content to help podcasters so if you are a podcaster and you would like to get more help than just this show then head over to that link and jump on our list all right let's head into to this episode with Scott. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this one. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Scott Carson. How you doing, Scott?
1: Hey, I am honored to be here today. It is a gorgeous day here actually in Austin, Texas and honored to be here with you today, Charlie, and here to serve your audience and listeners. Well, I tell you
0: what, it's uh, been really interesting. Before I have any guest come on this show, I always like to do a, 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 fair, a fair amount of research into just what they're doing in podcasting. So I will listen to an episode of the podcast. I will see how they're doing on social. And for the first time ever, and I mean ever, I actually couldn't complete the research as I kept going down the rabbit hole of just all the things (laughs) you were doing and all the podcasts. It was actually probably the most fascinating and interesting experience I've had in a while. And I think you're doing quite a lot of truly unique things in this space um, and a very kind of different angle and point of view on pod- podcasting in general. So I'm quite excited for this interview. Quick shout out to uh, Matt and Joe, because uh, without you guys and the hustle and flowchop, we wouldn't have been able to uh, connect this and make this happen. But before we get into that, uh, Scott, what I'd love is uh, just for context, can you just tell the listeners, number one, what are your podcasts? Yes, plural. And also what you do in business.
1: Yeah, my major uh, podcast, the, the 50,000 megawatt blowtorch of a, a show we have, it's called The Note Closers Show. Uh, it is a real estate investing podcast focused on the niche of distressed note and mortgage investing and been doing it for yeah, not quite three years yet. And then two other podcasts that I have uh, kind of spawned off of that one is called Note Night in America. Uh, I've been doing regular webinars to our investors and our, our database for over eight years now. And we uh, started doing, uh, uh, taking those recordings every Monday night and turned into its own podcast starting last year. I think we're up to episode 60 or 65. And then we have another podcast called Note Camp. And we've got kind of actually three volumes of that. Uh, We actually do a online virtual summit via Zoom, kind of like I record this, uh, at least once a year with a, a lot of our peers, investors, vendors in our niche of real estate investing. And so it's a really full Live conference that'll have thirty speakers over like two or three days, and we'll have anywhere from like you know three hundred to eleven 1, hundred depending on the on the month. And we've taken those episodes, those recordings, and turned it into its own set of podcasts as well. To you. and then we've got a a couple smaller ones here and there that aren't really up there yet. We've got one called the Fur Babies Podcast that we're actually launching. Uh, my spouse is a huge uh, animal lover, so we've got a, a podcast for launch with that. And then we actually created another one called. Um, uh, the Best of Scott Carson, because I've been a guest on a lot of other shows, we've turned that to its own podcast to bring on and, and kind of repurpose other people's episodes that have me on as, as a best of of listening to, it so I can send that out to people if they want to have me on as a guest. And then finally, we're doing another one we're launching called uh, uh, the Mass Media Mastermind Podcast, which is all about monetization and marketing when it comes to podcasting.
0: I thought I was an addict. I really thought I was about <laughs> as addicted to podcasting as you can get. Yeah. I- <laughs> absolutely um, not a week goes by where I, I don't have an idea for a podcast and like my wife or team has to talk me down <laughs> from the ledge is like, are you re- have you thought about this? Have you thought through this? Are you sure you want to do this? Um, and you have just taken it to a whole nother sphere. And it's like, um, I would even so- say like um, mogul level, like you're really building up some insane things. So I guess I have to ask the question, we'll bring this back. Why did you get started in podcasting? What was the lure or draw for you?
1: So I actually d- thought starting no a podcast. I have a buddy of mine that does all our, my production stuff that become a really good friend. And I've been doing webinars for years, you know, going back to webinars and conference Girls since 2011 to our database. And I was like, uh, podcasting okay, great. We'll be freaking do that. We had a couple of uh, friends of our start podcast in our niche. I was like, oh, that's their cool thing. I don't want to impede. You know, I don't want to look like I'm copycatting. Let them that's totally fine. We'll, when I found out in March or May of uh, 2017 that they were going to stop doing their podcast of like 150, 200 episodes, I was like, what? And it was starting to get bombarded a lot of bit from other places. And my friend who does a production company, he's like, Scott, you should really start one. You do a lot of great content with your videos and stuff on YouTube and Facebook. It'd be really easy to do a podcast. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do all the work. I'm, I, I'm a one-take guy. I don't want to do all the editing. And I think part of my attraction is I'm just a normal guy. And my thing is like, look, if I can do it, you can do it. And he's like, no, no, no. If you're using like Zoom or something, all you got to do is send us the audio. We'll do all the work for you. I'm like, huh? I'm like, what's this going to cost me? He told me the price. is like, oh, I can't hire somebody to do that for that cheap. So let's do it. And so that's what we did. We just said, okay, let's start with a Note Night in America podcast. And I'd already been doing like daily Facebook lives um, starting in November 1st of 2016, where I was doing a daily kind of Gary Vaynerchuk kind of model of doing a little bit of anywhere from an eight minute to an hour, just kind of a, Hey, what's going on at at weclosednotes.com, which is my company, or what's going on in the life of Scott Carson. You know, just kind of sharing with our audience the things that we were dealing with or focused on. And so it wasn't hard to transition that to a podcast because I'm, I'm a big believer and I I burn this into my staff and my colleagues. Like, listen, marketing has to come first, no matter what you do. And, And these days, wherever you're at, uh, unless you're that like remote Indian tribe off the coast of India that kills people with spears, everybody's in the media business otherwise. Okay. And so that's one of the things we've always focused on is like, let's come in, let's start the day with an hour of marketing, whether it's a Facebook live or a podcast interview or filming our own podcast. Let's start that off with, and that's kind of what led to us making this transition. You know, we, we crank out about three to five episodes a week and then I'll appear as a guest on two to two to four other shows on a weekly basis as well.
0: It's really interesting to hear how you've prioritized uh, media over other things. I think a lot of business owners and even podcasters uh, don't necessarily treat it with uh, that much seriousness. So it's quite a unique mindset. What I'm even more curious about here is like, just combined quickly uh, for the context of here is like, by my math, you'd be near a thousand episodes deep by now across uh, your shows and guesting which is just a a massive fear in itself. Um, But when I look at this and when you got into it, you're in a fairly competitive niche. You're in, if not one of the most competitive niches uh, for several of your shows in finance and investing. At what point since the start did this actually start to return some traction and goodness for you and kind of feedback, because I think a lot of people, uh, as we've mentioned before, is like pod fade can be a thing where they give up too early or they don't see any results. Like from when you started in this really competitive space, when did you start getting some good results for it or great feedback?
1: That's a really great question, Charlie. And I think so many podcasters suffer from comparanoia. You know, they want to see f- some sort of benchmark. And I'm competitive, an ex-athlete. Uh, I'm always competitive. How's my show doing? How's it comparing? Now, the first thing I, I, I kind of got out of my mind, I said, I'm, I'm probably not going to make news and noteworthy. I don't even worry about that aspect of things. I said, so let's focus on what we're doing in the real estate niche and how can we stand out and separate ourselves to do this. And there's not, I mean, there's a lot of investing, a lot of business shows, a lot of real estate shows, but there are very, very few in the distressed note space. So I, I think being a niche and going deep on that niche, instead of trying to go wide with everything is one of the things that's helped us out the most because people are excited about note investing and you have a lot of people that are coming that listen to my show coming from other arenas of real estate that make it attractive. And the fact that we have done a good job of really repurposing the content across video and audio and even written, you know, on their website with blogs and stuff helps us kind of really helped us gain a lot of momentum to begin with. Um, I mean, uh, we've been doing that. We, at, we filmed episode, um, 582 yesterday, and I was uh, calculating the numbers. And I think we got like 687 thousand downloads uh, across those episodes. So we're averaging somewhere around a thousand to fifteen hundred downloads an episode. And wh- how we start, we started seeing immediate impact. Like in the first like ninety days, people would reach out to me and email, "Hey, love your show, I've been binging it for you know three months or six months or." People, hey, signed up for my workshop, an online workshop. I say, okay, hey, how'd you come across? Oh, I heard your podcast, or I heard you on a guest of somebody else's show. And we have kind of a high end coaching, you know, one on uh, one, one on one coaching program of what we do. And I, I taught a class. Um, I think it was November last year that really just kind of made it so worth it. There was eight people in the class. Six of them had signed up from listening to me on my podcast and hearing me interviewed on in other people's podcasts. And that's a $15,000 thing for them to come and spend. So six people in one weekend were like, yeah, we heard you on a podcast to begin with. And then we just binged and followed you, but it all started with a podcast. And I was like, ding, ding, well we're not stopping this anytime soon. We're just going to keep going and, and rocking forward. I mean, we were, and we got some sponsors to begin with, with some of our biggest vendors that helped us cover the costs too as much as we crank out, and that was important to us. But re- really, when you start getting that positive feedback from people that they're signing up for stuff or they're making an impact, you're making an impact in their day in, day out by just showing up on a regular basis, that's really all the feedback I need to begin with. And The monetary side is nice, but getting that, that feedback that you're really making an impact is what's what really gets me excited about.
0: So much to unpack there. And I find it really interesting. And I'll, I'll go back a step here in, in saying that my first podcast, I went really wide and broad. And uh, we did a lot of episodes. And I just was always struggling to get traction and growth and like kept thinking, oh, we're not doing something right with promotion. Like, oh, it's the ads not working or oh, social media. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's that Twitter thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> not realizing how much niche really can play a role in getting traction. I think it's uh, very important and I'm thrilled to hear that uh, your finding is the same. But to go into that even deeply, you kind of mentioned something else is that you went very omnipresence. So the idea being that, hey, we're not just gonna do this as an audio and only find it on iTunes. You did the video stuff, you're very uh, active with the lives and uh, the webinar stuff as well. So you've kind of gone narrow but deep like really deep in making sure you are the presence in this space. Um, And I just think it's really fascinating that that's how it's come through. And um, I I always kind of laugh a little bit from this, and I'm sure this has started happening to you already, is that when you have that effect on people where they're starting to come to your events or they're thorough listeners of the podcast, I've had people jump on a call with me and like quote me, will say (laughs) back things I've said as to why they're on the call. And I'm like, well, I, I guess I'm done here. Like you got this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when your quotes come back as infographics, yeah, that's the. Uh, you, you, I won't say we've made it, but when you start seeing people quoting you on a regular basis, you got. Yeah, you have to laugh, and kind of pinch yourself sometimes. Not don't get too big ahead, uh, but it's that's a good. I mean, that's the thing. Is um, what is it? There's a quote from the uh, from a uh, movie called the, the the it was the president with Michael Douglas or something like that first president or something like that, and he talks about that in the absence of true leadership, people will listen to the loudest person, and when you combine that with like Seth Godin, who's the author of Tribes, was one of my favorite books. Everybody, there's we all have tribes that surround us, they and people are begging for leadership, especially right now. This craziness, you got to lead in some sort of fashion, and you got to pick. Pick your pick, pick your battles, and pick where you want to lead the most, and where your natural ability lies, and, and focus on that. You know, and that's the thing is, it, it may it, it, I, there may be a total of like 20,000 total people that are in my niche across the country or across the world in this little niche of distressed debt investing, but and I want to serve those twenty thousand people. You know, everybody else can have every. I mean, the millions of other real estate investors. But I want to be known for that little niche. I want to be a big fish in a small pond um, versus a small fish in a big pond, Does that makes sense.
0: Well, definitely. And I think the advantage podcasters often don't think about is it's the way you can communicate on your show. So if you're in broad investing, like it's really hard to talk about, let's say, real estate or the share market. Like You can only talk really about like principles because as soon as mm-hmm. you speak about one of them, you're isolating the other. And then even within real estate, like you've got the distressed market, which is a market, but then there's also things like, I just listened to one of your episode, which is like mobile parks is a type, or there's flipping, or there's um, probably tons of them that I'm not aware of at this point, but there's all these other ones that go it. And it's like to serve those people in your market, you're talking about unique things that wouldn't be faced by those other investors. And what's interesting is when you do that, it's quite interesting that you're going to get that person's attention really, really well. Like it's going to cut through the noise. And in today's environment where there is so much noise and there is a lot of loudness, as you've kind of been saying here, the importance of like relevance and cut through, I think plays such a huge role as well. But I want to um go into the next part here is because you have grown what I'm going to call a juggernaut of a media brand here. It's like actually uh, phenomenally well done. I'm really curious about how you guys have approached the growth of the shows and the podcast themselves and how you really think about like marketing, because there's one element which is like making the podcast and making great content, which you guys do really well, but getting it in front of people is almost a different sport in itself. So I was hoping you could speak into
1: that. So there's kind of a two part process to that. So it, it, it starts with the podcast and it ends with the podcast, but it's a different type of podcast. So we are um, our, our second biggest podcast is about 100,000 downloads is our Note Camp podcast that we do, which is our a live conference that we repurpose into a podcast, our live event to repurpose. One of the things that we do with those events is we survey our attendees and we incentivize the, sur- uh, the attendees to fill out a survey by saying, "Hey, get all the res- you know fill out the survey, we'll give you the results, so we'll help you in networking on an online virtual summit." And so we ask them, what's their focus? What's your biggest need? What's your biggest struggle? What are you hoping to get? What's your, you know, how many deals have you closed? Where do you listen to the podcast? Or What social media platforms you've be, been on? And so when you've got, let's just say, 300 people that come to an event and you get 100 of them to fill something out like that, that really gives you a lot of hot buttons for topics and struggles and really helps us fill out a content calendar. Like, okay, 30% of the audience that surveyed. Said this was an issue. I bet it's a bigger issue than just those that were on. So that leads to us kind of coming up with topics, and leads for us coming up with when I'm teaching individual topics, that I teach about or bringing on guest experts in those niches. So that's one way that we've kind of approached that aspect of things. And then the second thing, as far as how uh, second part of your question is how we kind of deliver it. Is that correct? Remember correctly, Rick, right, Charlie? Yeah, absolutely. And okay, I
0: love it. It started with research, by the way. I think this is, again, going back to the bombshell of a disaster my first podcast was making things I'm interested in insta- instead of making things my audience is interested in, uh, Sorry, is interested in, which is, I would say, uh, wrong niche and then not the things they're interested in. <laughs> Gonna have a really hard time. But it's like, again, and that I love that ground level data as well. This isn't like, oh, what are they searching in Google? This is like survey level event stuff to really come out where those gold and you mentioned hot buttons or triggers are. But yes, next part is like once we've got that, how do we create and get that stuff out there?
1: So we use, yeah, to get it out, I mean, it all starts with us using Zoom and we record the episodes on Zoom. And I've used Facebook Lives before. I've used Be, Be Live, which has been a great tool. But we wanted to make some systems and work easy for us so I didn't have to, you know, customize everything so we went to zoom because it was the easiest thing for us to systemize with calendly you know we have our uh, guests jump on calendly book all their information on actually creates a link that's easy that they've got immediately so it's one less step and another system in place and then so we record on zoom immediately you know we send it out to our production on the video side and not the audio side as well just the audio but the video side so i have a, a va that will add our headers and footers and a little bit of video to the video. They take our logo and put it in there and rebrand it that way, send it back the next day. Um, and so 24 hours, if we do the episode, it's going on to restream. Restream.io is a tool that we, and it's re, you know, going live across uh, our big Facebook page of 35,000 followers, our Twitter account with about 9,000, um, another Facebook group of 5,000. Uh, so this. It's getting out there. Now we know you're not going to see everybody on there, but it adds to that stuff where people now at 11 a.m. my time or noon my time, they know that they're looking for a video that we recorded of an interview Monday through Friday for the most part. So that's the first step is the video uploaded to YouTube as well, having to go live at the same time. So, so our 3,200 or 3,300 subscribers on our YouTube channel see that as well. Um, that's the first phase is the video Let's release. just
0: pause there because like, this was one of the things that I thought was most unique when I was going through um, the research before we did this interview. I have never seen a podcaster use lives as much as you have and particularly video stuff. And the big question I, I have is that how much of an impact has that made on access to people versus not doing that and let's say just publishing on itunes or the audio stuff from there like how big of a let's use a percentage uh, to try and give some context to it but how would you kind of rate things here
1: double it doubled our audience i will tell you that right now because the first year we had the podcast i tracked numbers i tracked views on facebook and interactions for every facebook live we did or every live stream we did i added to youtube to see what those numbers were compared to downloads And, you know, you have to take in consideration that Facebook numbers are off, you know, a three second view is not the same as a 30 second view on YouTube. So I have to add more value to YouTube views than I do Facebook views, because YouTube's owned by Google and all that great Google juice. Um, And YouTube, if you just throw a video up there is not going to do good unless you're actually putting a good description in, um, you know, keywords, and then really trying to boost that as well. So there's a lot of, you know, there Small is some extra work to it.
0: We're not, not going yeah. to deny that. But I, I think as a whole, like in your sentence, you, you've nailed It's like, I suppose, is the juice worth the squeeze? And it's like, if you said to any podcaster, hey, this has the potential to double, I, I would it argue does. it is.
1: Yeah, because you gotta, if you look at statistics, here's the numbers. Okay. They say what? twenty six. And here in the United States, they say like 26% of of listeners, of, of Americans listen to a podcast. That's still least 74% of people that don't. Okay. Now I have a an older audience for the most part. My avatar is a little bit older, thirty five to sixty five, college educated homeowners who are making seventy five grand to two fifty a year. Uh, when we had a, an outside marketing firm to go into our Facebook and, and do some marketing to find out exactly what our avatars made up of our ideal listeners. So knowing that is that okay? The forty five to sixty five year olds that are in our audience probably aren't listening all the time on podcasts. They prefer to read it. They prefer to watch it. So that was the biggest thing. Like, we look if we did just audio, it'd literally be without like half a body, trying to do something with one arm tied behind her back. So let's, you know, as I say in media, what's it going to hurt? Somebody else is going to watch it versus listening listening to it. I'm fine with that. So we just wanted to broadcast it everywhere.
0: <laughs> I I just love your comment yeah. there about like who's it going to hurt. The reality is no one. <laughs> like, yeah. And the thing I would point out is like, yes, it's definitely more work doing video. I don't think anyone will deny that. I have a video show and like at times I'm like, oh, it'd be awesome to just record in the dark with the mic on and and not do the work or not (laughs) not wear a shirt or whatever I want to get up to. Um, But um, you're already making that content anyway. It's not like you're having to record the podcast again in video or do it separately. And like I'm much the same as you, I use Zoom. So we're recording it now on Zoom the idea being that that could also be the live or the re the restream or re-live or it's your YouTube content or your, your Facebook live content. Like that, it, this would be like my one thing I would drum home and is like, on the basis of that alone, I think this is where most podcasters can level up. This is where they're lazy.
1: Totally. And because most <sighs> podcasters fall into two categories and Joe and Matt and I've had this conversation a couple of times before. You have people that want to do a podcast and then those people that actually do a podcast. Every conference or something I've been to, people like in those two categories: they have a podcast, they don't have a podcast. And that transition over is a slow process of people taking action and actually recording more than 10 episodes or more than 12 episodes. Now, that people that have a podcast fall into two categories as well. Those that want to do the least amount to have success versus those that realize, hey, it's going to take some time to do this. So, so, so I don't. Is
0: there, is there a special category for you that has like five podcasts, like the the multi addict?
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> I feel like that's you, me as well. I, I <laughs> well, that's the uh, thing. I, I never, I never thought I'd get a thousand podcasts. I just, it just shows that it's just the routine that we do. But I think I fall into. let they say if you have over three hundred podcast episodes in a podcast, you fall into one tenth of one percent of podcasters out there. And that's a rarefied error. And, and if I get up and I'm speaking somewhere and say, yeah, I've got a podcast, 400 episodes or 500 episodes, that's the new calling card. It's like, oh, you're an author? Or no, I got a podcast with 500 episodes. I've been doing this for a while. I know what I'm talking about. And so that adds to it. And, and I, I never look at something, hey, what, what can I do the bare minimum to get by? I want to say, well, if I'm going to do something, let's do it well. And yes, it does take more work, but let's figure out the easiest or cost effective ways to systematize it. And most podcasters, they end up doing all the editing themselves and trying to save. It, you know, when I hear people, oh, I spent four hours editing my one-hour podcast. I'm like, oh, oh, that's horrible. That's a ten-dollar-an-hour employee job to do. No offense to anybody producing that, but if you have a ten, if you're doing ten-dollar-an-hour activities, you have a ten-dollar-an-hour bank account. And that's one of the big things about outsourcing it. And going on it, it can be expensive. You crank out twenty episodes, it costs us about twenty-five hundred dollars a month. In, in production costs each month for our episodes, but it brings in more with sponsors. It brings in more with memberships. It brings in more by driving people to our classes and building a bigger tribe that we're leading, or a bigger audience, and going from there.
0: It's interesting on that point. Um, something I think about a lot is that if you're if you're going to be a podcast host, right, the reality is you want to be a leader in a space. You want to be an expert on a matter. You want to be seen in this space as like someone who knows what they're doing. I think every podcaster has that ambition. The thing I can't work out is why anyone would logically think they can spend four hours on editing and not spend that four hours on learning or creating better content. Like what if you spent four hours on research or further development in your expertise or finding people with that, like that is what will have the impact. That is what will lead to ultimately bigger things. Um, and especially with like the world we're in today of like outsourcing and uh, what we do at Media, is absolutely no reason why any expert should edit or do their own show at all. It's still mind blows me that people would consider it. And I know you said not to offend, but I'm going to say to offend, you should be offended right now, offended to the point you take action and stop doing it. Um, So we'll go from there, but I I want to loop back around here though. So we've covered the video stuff um, as kind of the first part of your process. And then you mentioned it goes into a a next stage, uh, which maybe is the audio um, or potentially, I know you do some radio stuff as well, but what happens after the video is live? What's the, the next stage of kind of getting it live and getting it in front of people?
1: So the next stage, once we have the video that goes live on YouTube or Facebook, the next phase is we actually take the audio link and then we send it to our radio stations. We're about a, a week and a half to two weeks behind from the time we ep- uh, record an episode to it going live on our website or being shared across iTunes and everything else. So I got really lucky connect with a, another podcaster who put me in touch with the, this company that has 17 stations across the community, radio stations. They're not the biggest of stations. They're non-Arbitron rated, so you can't really tell listeners. They may have a listenership somewhere between 2 and 5 million. Who knows? But it's in 17 different markets. And I was like, well, what I'm paying for, it's ridiculous, like 700 bucks a total month to have close to 25 episodes, 25 hours of radio station network, a full-hour show. So we take the audio from the podcast, and I just e- I'll just i email over to the guy at the radio station three episodes. And they air, like I said, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday mornings across the different time zones. And then those same three episodes repeat Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night at eight o'clock. Now, um, it's a low opt-in ratio when we have call to actions like, hey, go to my website or you know, text notes to 72,000 as a call to action or get my free book or whatever. It's a smaller opt-in ratio there, but it's another way that I, you know, hey, I've uh, like, I got a report this morning from the radio stations that we have an average of about 80 to 81,000 listeners per hour that are listening to my episodes by, on the radio station's website. That's how they track it. They can see how many listeners. I'm like, hey, that's another 2 million people or 2 million listens on a monthly basis. So that's another facet of radio because, like I said, I have an older crowd, but it still listens to the radio. So we take that. And then now we'll market in some of those cities. Say, hey, if you listen, check out Scott. Check out the Nicholas Show on Pittsburgh, 30 a.m. at you know 9 o'clock. Um, and we're using that. It helps us, A, to get some pretty good guests so that we've got this leverage. It also gets people to share it a little bit more because they know that we're in different places. And we've also – it's one of the biggest things we're working on right now is leveraging that in our our marketing and sponsorships. Like, listen, hey, if you want to we can bring you on and you can be the sponsor for these six shows for the week or these three shows for the week on in the mornings or the evenings and try to drive revenue that way for the most part. But if anything, the radio station, the audio side of things that just adds another like feather in our hat. Hey, he's a syndicated radio station. It may be, I'm, it's like an Amazon bestseller in some of these smaller markets, but it's another facet that adds, you know, adds, a, you know, adds a nice feather in our hat and, and something that, other people don't have, you know, if I reach out to a guest, hey, I'm a syndicated radio station network with millions of listeners each month. It sounds a little bit better than, hey, I'm just a podcaster. Uh, you know, that aspect of it. The-
0: it's one of those things that like stigmas definitely exist, that they really, yeah. really do. And like, um, for example, if someone says, uh, hey, I've got an apartment in New York, you go, oh, this guy, this might be a bit of a hitter. Um, So you you can look at things and we can all agree that there's personas. Now, radio is definitely got a a higher persona than podcasting. I don't think anyone would uh, disagree with that. So on the idea that you are nationally broadcasted, it kind of lifts the status of the show. It's almost worth it for that alone, in my opinion, for the ability to get access to guests or reputations or things like that. But the thing I love more than anything here is like we we haven't even really spoken about like the audio yet, which is what majority of podcasters do. And you've got these really two unique uh, facets or outlets or feathers that are allowing you to get exposure in markets that aren't as competitive in your niche. So it's like you've got your niche itself or your sub niche where you do particularly strongly, but then unique outlets. There aren't people playing here like, as you mentioned in the earlier of the show, if everyone's competing for new and noteworthy or top shows, like is that the game to play, or are there other games to play?
1: Yeah, and I think that, I think you have to look at what your show is all about and figure out what's your game. Every niche is different to figure out what your niche is and figure out how you can stand out. I mean, we've done other things that have been kind of crazy, like um, when we do live broadcasts on Facebook, we'll do an event that we're doing live. Then we'll even go to Eventbrite and say, "Hey, we've got a live event. Go to this link to watch us record our live podcast episode, and that's free to do." And so, there's a lot of different things that we do to drive media or listeners in to our live streams, and that leads to, "Oh, I like that live stream. What's your podcast name? Let me go ahead and subscribe it, and, and go from there." Or even like just talking to people, like at, like I was at an event, somebody's like, "Oh, how do you, how do you find like look, just hit Siri." Series me to the Note Closure Show podcast, and people are doing it in the audience, and I'm like, hey, that's easily done versus me showing it. But just be there's so many different creative ways, and I think so many podcasters out there they they're scared, it's like, oh, I don't know if that'll work. I'm the only guy like, mm, I'll give it a try. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, eh, at least I gave it a try and know not to waste my time there later on. But if it does work, I might really be onto something pretty cool.
0: I, I kind of have the same attitude. Um, for me, I'm, I'm experimenting with two things right now: uh, Twitter ads, number one, and Pinterest, number two. After I received a bit of intel, um, and I'm gonna in a future episode, I'll talk much more deeply about them. And like, they may not work, but my whole attitude is like, well, we'll know that, and then we can try the next thing, and eventually, like, mm-hmm. you, you find some winners. Like everything we're doing that working is working now was something we didn't know originally, and I think that's a really powerful attitude to take. But on that note. Have you actually tried anything and it was just a disaster. Didn't work. Avoid.
1: <laughs> you know surprisingly, I don't do a lot with Facebook ads. I don't do anything with Google ads or anything like that. I, yeah, I, I'll do like a dollar a day kind of thing and just promote the podcast and our podcast groups online. but that's about it. You know the live live events in in person events, you know we really kind of hesitate to do those anymore just because it's hard to put butts in a seat for the most part. And if you're recording in the morning, people are at work. So the more that we can appear on different platforms, probably the better. Um, golly, you know, I, I, here's the something. I tried editing my own podcast and it was a disaster. That would probably be the biggest thing is I screwed it up more than anything else. <laughs> 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 but here, here's, another, oh, here's another thing. Um, the bigger the name, that can be exciting, but also the bigger the names don't always equal to downloads or subscribers. Um, some of our best episodes have been from us going to the nuts and bolts which we often will think oh everybody knows that and we take that for granted that a lot of people want to hear the pure basic abc's nuts and bolts training again and again and again when we you know recorded an episode a year ago on that like i need to go back and you know, and, and see what did good a year ago. How did that episode track now that we're a year out and still getting listens? And then I need to probably go back and add another episode that's similar to that or a part B to that. So that's, that's one thing. And we got excited, like, oh, let's try to get some big names on. You know, they don't share it, they're too busy. Uh, it's not going to be effective. So it's bringing on your regular Joe Blow collar guy or gal, or somebody who's actually doing what you're asking them to do and they're normal. Are sometimes the best things you can do, and so don't. I wouldn't taste waste a lot of time, to, you know, chasing after big names. I mean, if they're in your field, great, but for the most part, people will rather hear from other people just like themselves. So that would probably be my best advice.
0: You struck a bit of a nerve on this one. This is this is an interesting one. I had um Brett Curry on the show previously, which you may or may not know of him, he has quite a big uh e commerce show, and he was talking about mm-hmm. that. For a time, and many podcasters have done this, like they thought they'd made it when they had some big names on. Like they thought, oh, this is the catalyst. Now that I've had, you know, X, Y, and Z on, Tom Cruise. Got Tom Cruise on the podcast. We'll go with that. Um, I thought, sweet. This is is it. But the reality is, is um, why even that episode might, and I say might because you highlighted this, might get a peak in downloads. The reality is, is that very few people were staying around for the next episodes, very people, very few people were jumping on the list or buying but then on the reverse of that is some of the episodes where maybe it was just them teaching something they'd already done before or when they have someone on who was a case study and like started from where the audience is and been a success has been far more successful in content in what people actually uh, want to hear and want to go through. And I think for, for you, particularly, is that you've been doing this investing stuff for so long that the um, basics are automated for you. So I, I'll use the analogy in the idea that's like, you know, sh- tying your shoe. Now, we, we mm-hmm. all just tie our shoe. It's just like we go for it now. Well, most of us, uh, anyhow. But the reality is, if you've never <laughs> tied a shoe before, you're sitting there and going, right. So this wraparound thing or bunny is like, which one and why? <laughs> why, why not just get Velcro? Like, why am I tying shoes at all? Or. I'm gonna move somewhere warm. Never wear shoes, like
1: flip flops, baby.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Slip ons, but 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 anyway, to the point. I think we forget that that is actually like how the people in our audience are often feeling or behaving at stuff we we take for granted as experts, particularly when we've been doing it a long time.
1: Yeah, and and that's that's easy to do easy because we get so busy and going forward. Hey, I've already covered that. I don't want to cover that again. And we do get sucked into, oh, it's a big name. And don't get me wrong. If I could have Henry Paulson, Harry Paulson, the ex guy or uh, Warren Buffett on my podcast, you know, those are some bigger names for CNN states. When it comes to my finance thing, I would be overjoyed. I wouldn't care if only one person listened because I got a chance to spend that time one-on-one with them. But it doesn't mean my audience wants to hear that. And you said something earlier, we always have to go back to what our audience wants to listen to, What what's impacting them. And so a really good tool that I would recommend to a lot of people is if you get a chance, talk, put yourself in the, your listener's shoes. What are they doing? What are they waking up and they're doing? What struggles are they dealing with? You know, what's fears that are going through their mind right now? You know, what, what's their commute look like? What, what kind of car does that drive? You know, what are they struggling with at work or when they come home? And thinking through those things. And if you can do that, and li- I'm, I'm, I'm being serious, what are they doing like on every 15 to 20 minutes, every 15 to 30 minutes? And you might wanna do it for yourself too, if you're in that phase, because you should represent your audience pretty relatively well. So if you're things that are bothering you, share it. Share the good, the bad, or the ugly. And actually, the ugly actually does better than the good, because everybody hears about good things. But they want to hear how you overcame the bad things. And that's why so many regular people, regular podcast episodes, which just normal people do better than the big guys or your big stuff because they're, oh, yeah, they're good. They want to know the nitty gritty, the the dirt under the skin episodes, dirt under the nail, I mean, aspect of things. And that's I think we forget about that because we want to appear, you know, oh, we've done it. and We've got this big name list. Okay, great. But how do I identify with that person?
0: It's the attainability and relatability. It's like if Warren Buffett had a podcast, I would probably listen if Warren Buffett had a podcast, just by the way. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, it's like the whole point is like what he has in way of resources and access. Like uh, as much as he's a great investor, I just don't actually think it's wise for me to try and imitate what he can do. I can't ring Bill Mm -hmm. Gates and go, yeah, what's Microsoft doing? Like yeah. <laughs> he, he's got things at access that I don't. So we, I, for the things he's doing now, I don't feel it's relatable, but someone who's at my level and doing things and has been through it more sim, uh, relatable is there. And that's, again, where I come back to this uh, earlier topic of niche is like this is where niche wins. Like if you are that niche, I just, it, it all loops into the same thing. Now, I want to shift yep. gears here um, because, there, again, uh, it is very likely we will have you back on the show at some point, Scott, because there's, like, things we're not going to get to that are in my notes and I can see that now because we are we made it to question two on this page so far.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no,
0: no, no, it's been great. But um, the thing I would say and I want to touch on is that um, – Overall, one of the big things I see podcasters struggle with, and like uh, again doing my research, is there's this really, really big gap for a lot of people. in, okay, I'm doing a show, I'm making content, I'm building an audience. How do I actually turn this into either business success or monetization? And I think that's something you've actually done really well, um, and have excelled in as um, also. So I'd love to hear your take on it and opinion. And I know you've already mentioned uh, sponsors, but you also have a fantastic uh, business over at We Close Notes um, as well.
1: So for most people, I found this from, from going to like PodFest and podcasts, some of the bigger podcasting conventions we have right here in the States, when they got to talk about monetization, a lot of people were talking about, oh, yeah, I sell swag. I sell a T-shirt or I sell a hat or I sell a bumper sticker or something like that. And I was like, I don't want to just sell a T-shirt here and there, but how can we really monetize things? How can we kind of make it of impact? And I'm like, well, let's think about it. We have people that come on our show that are authors. They've wrote a book on finance or some niche like that and they want to get their book out. I'm like, okay. We also have vendors that we deal with on a regular basis that, that have affiliates, you know, affiliate discounts or splits that we can do. And so I was like, let's put a membership together. Not like a Patreon. Patreon's great if you want to use that. Let's put a membership together and offer it up to our audience. And since we're in the finance side, people usually pay more for learning or education or services in the finance industry, because we're you know buying and selling houses. You usually have some money to invest with. So I so said, let's open up and call something in our membership or our WCN membership, or We Close Notes membership, where um, every month we'll send out uh, a swag bag, literally a swag bag, but it includes different things. It may include a book or two from people that we've had on the podcast. And if people come on our podcast and they have a book they want to promote, we ask them, hey, give me 100 copies of your book. Give them to me for free or just charge me your pure cost. You know, what it would cost you, I want to buy a hundred of those books. We prefer for them to donate most of the time, and most of them will. So we take those books, we'll include a sticker in there, we might do a shirt around something different going on in the market. Like we did, you know, Game of Thrones is going on, so we did Game of Notes t-shirt or uh, Note Hustler, or we sent sent a sticker out that said Note King or Lean Lord, you know. And then we also include discounts to our vendors or, or affiliate discounts uh, and say, hey, here, use this service. It'll give you a free, you know, 500 text messages a month for your marketing. Or, hey, if you go and use our servicing company and send a new you know, loan over to them to servicing, they'll give you $50 off your boarding fees. You know, or if you want to take this class, you can get it for 99 bucks versus 9.99 because they're a, a member. So we always... The way we look at it is like, I know I can deliver at least $97 worth of value and either A, making them more than that or saving them more than that on a monthly basis. It's stuff that I would get thrown at me anyway. And so that's what we did. We kind of outlined 12 months of product, whether it was a coffee mug or a hat, a shirt or stickers, like I said, or even like a, a an Arctic nice you know insulated mug was one month we sent out to. So we said that, okay, what's this going to cost us to do that for a hundred people shipping stuff like that. So we figured it's gonna cost us about thirty bucks a month to send this stuff out on a regular basis. So I said, well let's do it for ninety seven a month. That's a magical price. So we had roughly right at a hundred people sign up immediately for that. So that put oh, ten grand of income coming in. If we've only got to pay thirty bucks out, that means expenses are thirty bucks, you know, three thousand. So it was able to bring in and put, you know, 80000 dollars in revenue to our bottom line, which helped us finance the podcast and and was a great way to monetize. And um, a big mistake a lot of people do with memberships, they leave it open year-round. There's no sense of urgency. So we only open up that membership like three times a year around our workshop schedule or our training schedule. And if they come in at 97, great. If they cancel it and they want to come back in, it bumps it to 149. They only get that you know the extra price discount on the front end side, and people love that. They're like, oh, yeah. So now when we send them a swag bag, they're pulling out the books and taking pictures of themselves with the book, which we then give that to, obviously, the people that Gave us the books and they love it because now they've got a hundred micro influencers out there that are sharing not only in our groups, but sharing on other social media websites. and people will see that and we use it as they listen, if you would you like to have a hundred people share your book. Oh yeah. Well send me a hundred copies of your book and we'll get it done for you.
0: Quite unique. Very, so many unique elements there. Um, I, I kind of want to go to back to one is like starting from like, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, starting from the idea that um, you saw swag being a thing and not just saying, Hey, I'm going to make t-shirts and sell we close note t-shirts and like bringing this unique element to it. And then like traditional media would have like, for example, your podcast guest pay to get that type of access where you guys have actually monetized through the consumer or the audience and then use that in a unique way um, to kind of bring it together. So it's, it's, very close to a PR model, but not <laughs> at all, um, which I think is very, very different. And then the other side of that is that this is likely stuff your audience would want and it's just connecting that, you becoming the connective tissue and offsetting it. So again, I haven't found another podcaster uh, thinking about it like that, um, which is, is very, very cool there. Um, the next part is um, launch for urgency. So only opening the door three times a year now I'm really curious about this though. Is the times when it's not open? Is this really building up that anticipation or FOMO for people that aren't in, and why you think it works mm-hmm. so well?
1: It does because it's the anticipation, and we we do some cool things with our stuff. You know, it's nice colored. It, it's fit. You know, the shirts fit. They're unique into our niche. You know, people um, like especially with Star Wars, we've done a big thing with the Note Wars. You know, logo. So we try to use pop culture to identify opportunities. In marketing for stuff like that so that's the thing people like it because they can't see that anywhere else I mean we, I think yeah could they pay somebody to go out and create a t-shirt yeah of course but they're not gonna do that they would rather get some so it's like a, it's the little kid getting Christmas you know what's coming in the swag bag this month and when when we shipped out some different things and it, you know we like shipped out one day and then um, we you know we got busy and didn't ship out till the next week people were getting upset like calling I didn't get my swag bag this month I'm like whoa dude just chill It's it's already on its way to you you know it's coming, Um, you know, and, and that's the thing we tell people: like, if, if you want to cancel anytime, you cancel anytime. We still have done really well with having people come in, and, and some people will leave for a different variety of reasons. But we still, it helps us replenish that stuff. So listen, okay, you're on the waiting list. Hey, now's the time to sign up, um, and that helps us too. So we can kind of logistically plan what's coming in on a cash flow basis. Hey, okay, who's signing up at specific times of the year? So we know that we can, you know, map this out for long term. And because I think was, I saw some statistics that the average membership, somebody stays an average membership, something like this for like three months. That is the average. We're going on. We just surpassed our two year anniversary on that. And we still have 75% of our original members.
0: It, it's quite fascinating. From my point of view, like let's say you are someone who sells information, which you fit into that category. You are an info yep. marketer in a way. Um, a lot of people when they're thinking about their membership are only thinking about, right, what's the next training or product I'm going to give them it's rare they're thinking about giving other people's products or books or merchandise or swag bags in this case from here and it's interesting that that seems to be cutting through uniquely like very very uniquely I I, I very much wonder if you just said well right we're gonna do a unique training every month or do something or bring in something from that arm." would it be doing as well the same
1: so we do that sometimes some months when I have a workshop or a conference we don't send a swag bag at month. They're, they're getting their bonus that month is a, a, t- a free ticket to the event as well. So that is often evergreen. We do everything online. So we don't have a lot of overhead when it comes to that. And then the way we looked at too is like, okay, if somebody signed up for two of our workshops, which are like $5.99 a piece, if they, you know, people would repeat we usually let people repeat, it's like, listen, well, there's still got a way. We got all these people that repeat and let's find a way to monetize that. And said, so, okay. Sign up for the membership, you pay $97 a month. It's like what you would have paid to attend two workshops anyway. And so that's that's one thing we look at that aspect of that a little bit. Um, we I have found that the most um, trustworthy educators out there, people that have been around, is where they've stuck to the same thing. Now, we're very cautious about who we promote or who we bring on. We want to make sure it's something that's very valuable. We're not just promoting every type of real estate class out there. There's plenty of people that do that. Yeah, you, I'm you very, very, got to vet it, got to b- believe it. And so when I recommend a class or I recommend somebody or bring them on the show, they know that I'm just not, I didn't get paid, you know, 5,000 bucks to promote them for the month. They're not the flavor of the month. Hey, that George Antone is somebody I trust, is somebody's book I love, It's stuff that I actually paid for myself and gone through. And they always know that, okay, that's a trusted source. And if there is ever any issue, I want to know about it because I will be sure as heck to chew that person out who either didn't take care of my clients and take my listeners and stuff like that too. I'm not afraid to be an ass as I tell people, an asshole to people like, listen, uh, uh-uh, you didn't treat my client right or my student right. uh, uh-uh. We'll promote somebody else. And so we've we've done this long enough. We carry kind of a big stick in our, our niche for the most part to help out with people.
0: And just on that, let's say you have found someone who is a trusted advi- uh, advisor to your audience, like George in this example, which I'm a big fan of George as well. I love his work. Um, but in that case, I take it, he's not just coming in once you may get him to promote in the swag bag or a training or something, uh, later in the year, like twice a year or maybe once every year. But once you found that network of people that can really help you, you would lean into that repeatedly, I imagine.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I, one thing that we do, um, annually, we do this, we've done this now two years now, we'll do this again, three years. Is once a year, um, we like to get our trusted sources our good friends our sponsors, um, any of the sponsors that we have kind of in the pipeline for the year. We like to get together in either late November, or December somewhere. And we like to ask them, say, hey, what's on your schedule for the year? You know, what events are you hosting? What's your schedule? What's your big input? Do you have a book coming out? Do you have a different class? What's that schedule so we can help promote it to our list for you and help support you? And you know this helps us with our.
0: Oh, bet you've made some friends.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the first time we did it, we had like six people. We had doubled this year, but I, I literally learned that from Shaquille O'Neal. You know, the famous NBA basketball player. He he promotes so much stuff and such a big sponsor. I saw that he does an event every year called Shackville or something like that in December, where he brings in every company that he owns or he's a speaker for, from Ring to Krispy Kreme Donuts, whatever. And they spend two days going through how he can be a better. A spokesperson for those products, or how can he him help them grow through you know products or marketing and stuff like that? And I was like, that's a unique idea. Let's do that. So our sponsors that come to that, you know, two-day I guess you could say the note closer show sponsors, we like to bring in people too to help them. That oh hey, you need to speak on this person's podcast, or hey, you might want to use their services. You guys can connect. And that's really blossomed across the board. I don't get anything from those. Words. I'm like, oh, you're working with him? That's fine. I don't need a split of that. I'm just glad that I'm adding value to the sponsors. In return, they're glad to be on our show because we know we're always thinking for, of them. Either And they're glad to come on our show or glad to promote us because it's become its own really great environment and ecosystem of really sharing and, and um I guess you could say the the givers game aspect. If you're a BNI networking kind of guy, givers game, and uh, it's 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 helped us have some really great uh, relationships, and people want to be a part of it. It's
0: just another thing I think you're doing quite uniquely. Um, and do you know what? I, I'm probably going to call this episode um, just a unique guide to podcasting. Because this this stuff isn't covered uh, in what I would consider like the mainstream skill set or the baseline skills that most people come with. Now, we are going to wrap this one up, Scott, um, because uh, we have time against us here. But I will say this, for the people who are listening to this show, I would encourage you to head over to weclosenotes.com and particularly what i would get you to do is just look at the system scott is doing to multi-purpose repurpose reuse repurpose um all these content and particularly the flow we spoke about earlier about how they're doing lives and turning that into other things and doing basically bang for buck on their content i think scott, scott would be hard to beat i think he is getting the most leverage and utilization across many things so Really, really encourage you as a podcaster to go check out that stuff. And of course, if you are interested in real estate at all, that will be of massive interest to you. And something we didn't even get to as well is that you are actually doing some mass media stuff and podcasting as well. But we might do a whole nother episode on that. Scott, where's the best place for people to come and check out what you do besides We Close Notes? Why should they come and call yeah, you?
1: That, the, the We Close Notes is our mothership, I, and I will put this out there: anybody is looking for help on things, I'm glad to give everybody uh you know 30 minutes and pick their brain they can just go to talk with and they'll take them directly to my calendar and i'm glad to you know spend 30 minutes helping them brainstorm with them and help them on their podcast journey so talk that's a url i bought so that it goes straight to my calendar link and anyway i can help look i love i've been given so much good stuff from other podcasters and friends and what you said charlie truly an honor i'm really humbled that you would say that i, I really appreciate that um And it's it's unknown. When you start off, it's kind of a a solo journey and you need people to help guide you. And I'm only here because of all the great mentors, the great counsel I've received from so many people doing bigger things than I have on different phases. And um, if I can help in any way, I'm glad to do it. Such a generous guy. And I love you have a URL
0: for that as well. I think that's a, a great way to do it's a it. system.
1: It, that way I can remember it.
0: <laughs> and I'll just give you a warning. Uh, guys, Scott mentioned to me earlier he's looking for our uh, podcast spots. Uh, he'd love to be a guest on more shows. So if you have a show that is relevant for him, I'm sure he would love for you to mention that to him as well. So we're going to wrap this one up, Scott. This has been another episode of The Business of Podcasting. Thank you so much for being on this show and all your generosity in this area.
1: Thank you, man. Hey, guys, go out and do Charlie a favor. He's not going to ask this. Go out and subscribe and hit that five-star review and leave a nice five-star review for Charlie. His show is awesome, as we can all agree, but do that. We love getting that type of feedback and seeing what's going on and uh, do that for Charlie right now. He didn't ask me, but I'm sure he'd be willing to pay me for that later on. <laughs> all
0: right, guys, we we'll wrap this one up. Thank you once again.